you get everyone spending half their time thinking how can we basically skirt around the edge of it i.e. not really comply with the spirit of this thing and just do the bare minimum and then still keep doing what we feel like how I mean, can we exploit this by offering GDPR advisory services as yes well? yeah yep. I mean that's, that was GDPR merch I mean that must have been <laughs> such a Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Uh, as ever, I have with me Jamie and we've got Ray from Light Reading joining us. Thanks a lot, Ray. Thank you. Uh, just consulting your notes. <laughs> is that it over already? Yeah, yeah. Well, just, just you being here is a podcast enough. Um, and But then we know that you're going to bring some extra super duper insight later on. So um, in the meantime, Jamie and I will just fill the gaps. I'm not, yeah, I'm not just snow blindness from the shirts. <laughs> yeah, you've got your special podcast shirt on. Sorry, those are the, who are listening, you're missing out on a sort of force of nature here. <laughs> right, what are we going to do? Oh, yes, and just to remind you that if you are listening, uh, you can also watch it on the site or on Facebook. And if you're watching, you can listen on SoundCloud or iTunes. So this week we're going to talk about regulation i know isn't that exciting uh and then we're going to talk a little bit about what nokia's been up to i hope i'm not talking about regulation well we expect you to at least oh, pretend to, it. to at least feign interest right? all right i'll try um it's, it's inspiring while i'm doing my opening spiel to see both of you on your phones i feel i feel this is a really collaborative <laughs> exercise i'm checking what my job title is <laughs> head of checking things anyway uh, and ray's going to talk about some stuff later that's going to be to do with cloudy Cloudy business. Virtualization. Virtualization. Okay. So regulation, um, not quite as boring as it sounds, I hope. We've had a couple of sort of major regulatory things going on, probably the biggest one being GDPR, which stands for General Data Protection Regulation, I believe. Yes. And for those who thank you, Jamie. And for those of you who haven't been paying attention for whatever reason, Europe has decided that everything's got to change regarding how companies hold on to your data from things like sort of mailing list subscriptions and marketing and pretty much affects everything to how most people do business these days because it's normally around sort of communicating via email or, or whatever. Um, and everyone had plenty of warning, but they were still kind of <laughs> themselves leading up to the big day, which was, which was a week ago. Oh, and so, yeah, and so now we've had a week of it actually being in effect. So I guess what I, what I want to start off by talking about is, you know, how's it all going? And I wrote a piece um, yesterday saying that it's, and this isn't at all surprising, by the way, that it seems to have effect, it seemed to have benefited the biggest companies. Because whenever you lay a big load of extra bureaucracy on the business world, it's the biggest companies with the most resources, the most lawyers, the, the biggest economies of scale that can normally adapt to it quicker and exploit new opportunities that come from it quicker. And so um, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal that I read and, and commented on where they reckon that Google and Facebook, who are already the dominant global advertisers, um, have, if anything, found their position to be even stronger as a result of GDPR because smaller sort of ad platforms, smaller aggregators, smaller advertisers themselves have been slower to sort of get their ducks in a row and tick all the right boxes for GDPR. And, and the European Commission has a long history of being quite spectacularly vindictive when it hands down um, a directive and people don't stick to it. It likes to lay big fines on them, which it then goes in, all that money goes into a central pool, which is spent on lunches for the European commissioners because um, they're really short of opportunities to do that. Shut up. Um, 
so uh so yeah so that's been the thing that's happened and then there's been one other bit of sort of collateral damage at the same time we've spoken about this a few times on the pod there's sort of aggro going on um in the u.s to do with trade it's always been one of trump's big things is protectionism it's been mainly pointed at china and so we've spoken about it a fair bit in the context of zte but um just this week he's announced a bunch of tariffs on europe and canada and mexico to do with steel and aluminium and then also another thing I reported on um, there, I can't remember what his precise, one of the secretaries of state, state in the US called Wilbur Ross, I think, wrote a, a piece in the Financial Times going GDPR is really cocking things up for relations between the US and, and the EU. So it seems like GDPR has even become a pawn in this great big sort of global protectionist game. So um, yeah, that's that's my sort of opener on regulation, Jamie. I think I think you wrote about some other sort of regulatory larks this week as well, didn't you? Yeah. So it's um, uh, I mean, basically, like the, the the GDPR being an absolute cluster f- is, is no surprise. I mean, they've everyone's had two years basically to warm up to it, mm-hmm. and even so, I attended events. I think it was last June, last July, and I spoke to a consultants who I mean he said it's me off the records so I'm not going to say where he's from um, but he turned around and said yeah like there's gonna be so many fines when it comes into place because no one has started none of their clients had actually started the auditing process yeah so even back you know 12 months where you think you've got a load of time he said it's gonna take so long to actually go through all your systems and understand what data you actually have um, because but they were they were literally all that all these companies have just been you know, grabbing every aspect of some per, uh, personal lives as they can, and then just storing it and not bothering. You know, picking out the bits they like and then not bothering to yeah. re, uh, to get rid of or do anything with the stuff that they can't use. Which is one of the reasons this stuff yeah. came into effect. Yeah, yeah. It's been so, so sort of wild, hasn't it? Well, they've got to they've got to be get better at managing what they have and protecting what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just said, even twelve months ago, he said he was looking forward and he's saying. The last month, the last two months before this deadline goes in, it's just going to be an absolute panic because no one's actually doing the the really labour-intensive work now. So I'm I've got little surprise. You know, one yeah. of, one of my drinking buddies commented about three or four months ago during when we were watching one of the Six Nations matches um, that basically he works for another large consultancy which shall uh-huh. remain nameless. Yeah, or he won't um, be drinking buddy for long. <laughs> yeah. But he just said any person who was uh, not on a, a sort of a really heavy uh, deadline um, or on an active project was getting moved across to anything GDPR related. So it's that higher priority. Yeah, there's been a like all their all their clients were making a sprint to the finish line in the last sort of couple of months because they just hadn't prepared for it. No. So I got just- very little surprise. Um, what about you, Ray? Are you surprised that it's all been a bit of a last-minute panic? No, because I think despite the efforts of the authorities to try and make companies aware, like you say, if you're a smaller company, you don't have a anybody who can be assigned as GDPR officer unless they're the accountant or mm. you know the part-time tea maker in, a, in an SME or something like that. Uh, so it's really not surprising. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person who is still getting the emails saying, mm-hmm. please, uh, you know. Um, oh, there's so I many love, of them. I love yeah. these. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, and I'm sure it won't be too long before we start to see 
uh, some of these fines. Um, what will be interesting, of course, to, to see if anybody notices any difference whatsoever in the way that data is used and how marketing, digital marketing, actually acts in six or 12 months' time. Yeah. Or if basically nothing really changes yeah. it for the general, you know, for, for consumers, essentially. The one thing the one thing I don't get is I still think there's, like, there's a load of people that haven't got their head around it. Because I got an email today, and even, like, you know, I'm not presented I'm an expert on GDPR, or I've read the fine prints of the terms and conditions and all the various different clauses. But I got through an email today that said, um, you know, we have you on our list. Here's an option. Do you want to opt in or opt out to future marketing purposes? And then below it, in italics, it said, because you're already on our list, if you do not reply to anything, we're going to carry on sending you emails anyway because we got consent before and I was like well I thought the whole yeah idea of GDPR was to requalify the 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 sort of the people that are on your database. So it's almost like they're saying we've just got to send you this this completely gratuitous email and then we've somehow covered our ass just yeah. by doing that. We're ticking a box and then but even if you don't opt in we're gonna yeah. we're gonna carry we're gonna on doing what we're are. doing anyway. And there was another thing there's I love some of the language associated with this stuff. So, you know, with, within companies, you have compliance departments. And then, you know, a week ago, there was talk of forced consent. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, people like sort of big um, digital service providers basically saying, right, click this button to say you agree to us selling your soul to the devil or, or you can't use our service either, yeah. anymore. And that was uh, Max Schrems, who's the guy who kind of catalyzed yeah. all this. He immediately started well, he taking was, action he was against the guy who kicked forced off, consent. He was the guy who kicked off Safe Harbor. Yeah. Uh, what, however many, three, four years ago, wasn't it? Um, so I, mean, I guess I guess what happens, two things that happen. When you when you come up with a big load of regulation, I'm not saying, you know, you do need regulation. I'm not, I'm not a complete laissez-faire, let the markets run their course. You've got to have some guiding hand from time to time. But with big loads of new regulation, you get A, unintended consequences, which typically favor the larger organizations. Yeah. And B, you get everyone spending half their time thinking, how can we basically skirt around the edge of it, i.e. not really comply with the spirit of this thing and just do the bare minimum and then still keep doing what we feel like. How I mean, can we exploit this by offering GDPR advisory services as yes, well? Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that was... GDPR merch. I mean that must have been <laughs> such a such a boost to some of these consultancies. Yeah. You know, we can we can make sure your compliancy don't get that twenty million pound fine. It's the yeah. Y two K for two thousand and eighteen. Yes. Yeah. yes. In in some so. in some respects. I mean on the Just without quite the level of sort of millennial hysteria. Yeah. On the um on the unintended consequences, that was part of uh what Mary Mika Right. Uh, was talking about yesterday or the day before, I can't remember okay. what she actually And remind did. us why we care about before, Mary Mika. Five days ago, I'm sure at least. Yeah, yeah, oh yes, yeah. Oh, but but her like <laughs> annual presentation. Anyway, when, just... when we publish this, yeah, but, yeah. Um, Why do we care about Mary Mika? Uh, well, she's just basically one of the she's a venture capitalist and recognised as one of the authorities on the business of internet. Right. Um, so, but she turned around and said one of the inter unintended consequences is you know GDPR uh, Europe is trying to protect its citizens, but ultimately is putting a stranglehold on how on innovation and how startups and companies can develop yep. so i mean that was just her comments i mean you can take two things off of that either the european startups 
fall behind the Silicon Valley startups, for example, because they can't use data to develop their services, or a startup looks to scale elsewhere. In either case, Europe as a society and an economy loses out to Silicon right. Valley. So they're the unintended consequences from one, one, one aspect of it. And it's interesting, following on from what she observed there, and I'm sure there's a lot of validity to it, I've also read stuff about how Silicon Valley is really trailing China when it comes to sort of speed of innovation and yeah. and all that sort of thing. That, that a lot of the really fast, slick stuff's going on in China. Well, I mean, one of the things, I mean, this was another stat that she brought up, was that um, China, uh, citizens in China are more open to sharing data than anywhere else on the planet. So right. they've just got more fuel to sort of drive innovation and development than anyone else. Which and and plus, you know, that's you why they're relaxed about trademark as well. It's all about sharing everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've yeah. certainly they've they've yeah. certainly been accused of being relaxed about other people's trademarks. That's for sure. Mm. I mean, the big one now. One thing I've noticed this week is that the lobbying has gone through the roof. Uh, I mean, you could say that the big internet companies lost the skirmishes when it came to GDPR. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the next one is e-privacy regulation, which is going to just reinforce certain aspects of GDPR relating to marketing okay. um, and then that is going to they're, they're now starting the lobbying process to try and get a more palatable regulation right. so that that's the next big battle I think and I think that'll be it was supposed to be released in conjunction with GDPR then it got kicked back and it's going to be in 2019 at some point that right. e-privacy regulation is going to gonna hit the okay. streets Ray do you, do you think this is this is sort of growing trend do you think we're this is a phase of like the internet in general where we've had our wild west phase where it's just a sort of free-for-all and now regulators whether it's in the U europe uk us whatever are gonna sort of crack down a bit what do you reckon <laughs> i don't know that's it is it yes it is it you're that supposed to be it. a pundit right no uh. <laughs> I can't help you on this one. I'm okay, afraid. well that's fine. Yeah, I have well, no maybe idea. there's nothing to reckon. Uh, well, maybe we should take that opportunity to move on to the next thing. Um, we, uh, Jamie and I, both write about wrote about Nokia this week. I think um, you did as well, Ray, didn't you? I think I did. Yes. Are you, are you stoned or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. Past my bedtime. No, he's just, yeah, he's yeah. just very busy, bless I, him. I did. I did touch on Nokia. Touched? I touched on it. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, I What I write about? Oh, yeah. So they've got, Nokia's got um, sort of two main silos. It's main sort of networking bit. And then it's also got this technologies division, which is pretty much left over from when it sold the majority of its devices business to Microsoft however long ago, 10 years, whatever it was. Um, but it, it kept hold of a bunch of intellectual property because Nokia was always, back when it was uh, the handset king, they, they spent absolutely tons on R&D, and so they probably got a hell of a lot of patents mm. to do with uh, handsets and, and other things to do with sort of mobile communications in general. Yeah. And so they, they held on to some of that stuff and, and named it the, the technologies division. And I remember when they first did it, I sort of somewhat sarkily named it the patent troll division. In fact, I remember once suggesting that to some Nokia execs, and, and they didn't laugh. Mm. But uh, you know, they can't all be they can't all be home runs, can they? Um, and then and then they thought, no, 
let's let's do more than patent trolling. Let's get back into devices. After all, we were pretty handy at that for about 20 years. Um, but rather than get back into handsets per se, although they have been licensing out their brand to this HMD Global, which seems to be doing a half-decent job of, of resurrecting the handset brand, they thought, let's get into digital health. Um, and, we'll, and we'll buy this company called Withings, and they do all these cool things like wearables where you can track your heart rate and manage chronic conditions. And they thought... This might be, you know, IoT is obviously going to be a big thing sooner or later, and and maybe this medical side will be a big part of consumer IoT. So, you know, that, that's the future. And that was two years ago. They bought this and went right. You know, this is what we're doing. And and they brought in, um, they brought in a guy from Samsung who was really strong on devices, and everything was set uh, for them to really exploit this. And then within within about a year and a half, they went. Actually, we can't. No, we can't do this. We can't hack it. It's not happening. Is that because uh, they were crushed by like Apple or? No, I, I, I my feeling, and I'll, I'll put this, I'll put this to the table, um, is uh, that they just ended up not being as good at it as they thought they'd be. I don't think it's because of external competitive reasons. I think it's internal competence. <laughs> they, they just, they just didn't, they weren't as, as able to exploit that opportunity as they presumably thought they were when they bought Withings. I don't. Is that are you? That was a French company, wasn't it? I don't know the reason. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's a mixture of different things. I think it's very hard when you're a really large company. I mean, essentially, even though they spent a couple of hundred million on buying Withings, it was still a tiny part of a very large company. And with so much going on in the main part of Nokia, um, you know, to spend a lot of uh, time and effort from, from the top down on developing that market which wasn't core to what they were doing yeah. is not really happening and I think in the end they just realized right if we're going to make this a go of this we I we we're going to have to invest even more heavily in it is it worth it yeah. no right let's get shot of it so let's either double down or get out very much so yeah I think I think that was where and and whether it was because they what they acquired wasn't quite what they thought maybe they thought they were getting more skills as well as tech maybe they were setting getting more of an a, a, an initial market but that whole area i think has has moved incredible um the developments have moved very quickly but i don't think the market has grown as quickly as everybody thought it was going right. to two years ago yeah 100 so, percent. i'm with yeah. you there wearables is just not taken off anywhere same as near. vr people yeah. were wetting their pants about vr a couple of years ago and it's a slow burner. Mm. A, I just a think, slow burner I, in wet pants. Yeah, <laughs> I just think, I mean, when they when they got into it, it was just unrealistic. Like, I think the IoT wearable space is really going to take off when you've got sort of eSIMs embedded into the devices. You know, the idea. Well, I know, I know, you can actually put SIMs into them, into like smartwatches now, and you no longer have to be tethered to your devices. Mm. That for me was the biggest step forward we've seen on wearables for you know since they since they mm -hmm. actually existed so as soon as you start to get e-sims on there and then you can do a bit more flexible shopping around uh sort of getting di different data tariffs as soon as e-sims turn up i think you'll have some very speciality um sort of telcos who are selling like envianos or that very much so yeah and that, I think that is that is a big step forward and ultimately they backed wearables and wearables just hmm. didn't deliver really so you could say that they perhaps lack patience i mean if you're gonna as you say ray it's not that much money but if you're gonna drop a couple hundred mil then you, you know you should give it more than a couple of years shouldn't you 
in the in the scheme of things for that company, I'm not sure. I personally think they made the right decision in getting out. Yeah, if they weren't going to, if they could identify it wasn't happening. Yeah. I mean, the one person I feel slightly sorry for is this chap, Gregory Lee, who was the head of Nokia Technologies. Well, Gregory Leave, as he's now known. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Um, who, uh, yeah, is one year, they, they got him from Samsung, the head of sort of Samsung North America, devices guru, he's going to be our devices dude, and within a year... They're sending out press releases going, going. yeah, well, seeing as we flog withings, there's no point in him hanging around anymore. So see you later, Gregory. But, you know... Um, I think it's too early for the tech. The, the interface is too small to do enough things. It's too tiny, you know? Well, yeah, there is. I mean, I, I've always thought, you know, from back when I was a devices analyst and, and they were first coming out with wearables, I thought, you know, if it's a Bluetooth device, i.e. tethered to your phone, then all it really is is a notification device. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe useful for one or two other things. I suppose now we're getting to contactless payment. Maybe that's a useful thing. Um, but then if it's standalone, as, as Jamie was just celebrating, yeah, th that obviously gives it more functionality. But I still don't think you're leaving your smartphone at home. Yeah, no, I don't it's, think you're just, just using... It's small. I think yeah, exactly. Like what you say about cars, you need a very good... Voice uh, UI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And clever, yeah. clever enough to do Depends on the enough. application of the wearable, though, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody comes up with a fantastic, as I think there is a Hong Kong company has comes up with a fantastic wearable that can monitor people's blood pressure. Oh, yeah, no, yeah but that's just one thing, though. It's, yeah. yeah, but that's, yeah. a that's, phone does so many more. That's, but that's yeah. where success has been to date. Like, um, yeah. there's a, as far as, like, off the top of my head, I can only think of one brand which has really nailed wearables and actually made a real good success story out of it. And unfortunately, their last two quarters have been going down the pan a little bit, and that's Fitbit. Mm -hmm. right. And it was just a very simple device which had a simple function and appealed to a niche audience. Yeah. And you know they, they captured the majority, or not the majority, but they had sort of like 30, 40% chunk, yeah. of the smartwatch uh, market. Mm. They're the only ones that could actually make real money out of it. But that's the only thing. It's, it's a pedometer with yeah. heart rate. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's simple things because yeah. the technology it's good isn't good marketing. Anyone. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God, that was good marketing. Yeah. And it's cheap as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's been my other knock on smartwatches. If you're going to drop 400 quid on something that's basically a Bluetooth no, accessory. No, Like an Apple Watch is 250. No, oh, no, no, they're more, more than that. It depends Apple on the strap. I mean, they're oh, trying yeah. to market it as yeah. this luxury thing. You can get one that's straps made out of crocodile uh, yeah, well arse then, or something then, and they yeah. cost about two grand sure, the yeah. Huawei ones were about when they first brought their ones out about two years ago were going for about yeah. four four hundred five hundred quid really yeah, yeah, yeah but really like expensive gold plated or something yeah. no 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 it's just bog no. standard ones Ooh. yeah so yes I, I agree I think we're all in agreement that, that that category has yet to sort of find its find its mojo yeah I think uh, it, there's, there's going to be great potential for it but there's, there's so many things that need to happen data needs to be cheaper mm. uh, you know eSIMs need to develop more the technology needs to get better voice interface needs to uh, needs to get yeah. better as well we need some we need a better way to communicate with the device as opposed to just holding it with us and yeah. like gestures like, like yeah, something like gestures Star Trek. would be great yeah gesture you would be brilliant if you yeah. just wave your hand around and make so stuff you happen to touch it yeah. yeah there's so many great things about it but I just think um, there's just want to make sure you're not wearing it when you're making certain <laughs> gestures it could be misinterpreted but yeah, but just not there. <laughs> so, Jamie, I reckon the best way for Nokia to work out how <laughs> best to use these things is to create a special committee 
to look into these things. What do you think? Well done, well done. Good segue. <laughs> um, yeah, so this follows out of their AGM where they uh, have launched a new technology committee and this is, has six members on it and the technology committee is supposed to be sort of critiquing the, the innovation and the R&D and the technology strategy of Nokia. Now, for me, sounds like a great idea. If you if you know if you've got a independent board of people that can come in and look from you know from an outside perspective and say do you know what you made a couple of good decisions here this one not too keen on it this money not too keen where you spent yeah. that this is how you could do VC better approach yeah maybe. yeah just yeah. taking you know i mean because you know to to open yourself up to critique from third parties is quite a mature thing to do is it critique or are they advising Opinions and Fine opinions line. and advice is what they're supposed to give. So they're supposed to evaluate and ass- assess certain aspects of the technology roadmap and strategy and uh, decision making. Okay. Um, but so I think a great idea, brilliant idea. But the people they've put on this board are firstly, most of them are already on the Nokia board already. So hardly outsiders. Yeah, so not really independent, not really outsiders. Um, And secondly, they're from organisations which I would not necessarily consider the most innovative or forward-thinking for the telco space. Mm -hmm. So So for instance, like the CTO of Procter & Gamble, fantastic, but is he really going to take Nokia into the next era? for me, it was just yeah. I don't know. Procter and Gamble, they're they're like sort of toothpaste and stuff. Aren't yeah. They? For yeah. me, it was just. I mean, one of the largest enterprises and consumers of telecom technology and services in the world, probably. Well, there is that. Yeah, but they've got no. Um, uh, yeah, they consume data and all that sort of thing. But for instance, upgrading to five G, that's where Nokia sees a lot of. They're going to get a lot of cash, you know. What's what, Mr. Toothpaste? What's Mr. Toothpaste? What's Mr. Colgate going to tell us about <laughs> industrial vi- IoT? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm just not convinced by it. I'm not convinced but by you it. You are, you are then convinced by. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm both. I, I think Jamie's point about the, you know, making a, a technology advice committee out of people who are already on the board you is a little bit pointless. Rubber stamping their own uh, influence. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think um, you know having a dedicated focus, and if you have people who are from some of the large companies and to who consume and understand and think about where global technology is going, and remember, enterprise and telco is converging. Yeah, you know, the cloud is the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of these large companies are going to have virtual if not physical networks as large as some communication service providers then i think there's going to be some value in it but i think that i but i agree with you i think it sounds like that they haven't quite got the right model and i would love to be a fly on the wall when that committee presents to marcus weldon and basil alwyn and all these other people who spend all of their time thinking about this internally and and i would say uh, I pick those two people 
particularly because I know they are smart, they live and breathe technology, but they're also very reasonable people. They're not pig-headed right. people who would go, I don't care what these people think, they're wrong. Here. Yeah. Um, I would love to see the exchange there and see how much value comes out of this. I mean, I think it, for me, it's a wonderful idea. And I think, maybe okay, so maybe the Procter & Gamble one is a bad example. But let's say, for instance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back myself up here. I'm going to make my points. Another example was an individual who worked for IBM prior to them turning around their fortunes. Now, I questioned, so she, this, uh, yeah, I can't remember her name. Don't worry. Um, but she was a senior executive at IBM until about 2014. So when IBM was still declining, but hadn't really turned around its fortunes. So... I mean, I'm sure she's a fantastic businesswoman and she is probably orders of magnitude more intelligent than I am. But if I'm a global, <laughs> if I'm a global uh, technology provider, I really want to be bringing in the people that have turned a business right. into a, you know, I, I want to I hire someone who's been working for IBM over the last over the last three or four Recently. years when they turned around fortunes not someone who was in a yeah. senior position as it was going into its decline one, one other sort of thing I, I'm i never that sure about non-executive directors full stop always like strikes me as a bit of a sort of old boys club gravy train at times they get paid wedge as well they get paid proper wedge they sort of have to turn up about once a month Sit around a table and go, yeah, yeah definitely. So the Nokia board I mean, of directors. Sure, this is, you know, this is satirical. Ooh, I'm sure they, yes. I'm sure they do a lot more than that. But I, it's to illustrate <laughs> yeah, my yeah. scepticism as to exactly how much value they add. Full stop. Let alone to a committee like this. But Ray, correct me. Do you think non-exec directors? Well, I think like. Uh, am I, I misrepresenting them? I think like a lot of goalkeepers. They don't get praise when they're stopping the shots, but if they fumble, then they're going to be in the firing line. Fair, a bit like I Liverpool. Think, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to make the carious connection, uh, but um, I, I you know, I think people don't spend a lot of time. Uh, if you're not an inv not an investor or you're not in very senior management in a company, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about or looking at or engaging with boards of directors. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're incredibly valuable. And I think part of it is we don't understand. Yeah, I, I think I've just shown that, that I don't. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I don't know what. I'd love to be in that position because I know that the Nokia board of directors, if you're just a bog standard uh, board member, you get paid 160,000 euros um, yeah. a, uh, a year. Uh, if you are the, I think it was the vice chairman of the board gets 185,000 euros right. and the chairman of the board gets 240,000 And they could still euros. do other stuff. Anyway, I mean, I, I could just be jealous. I wouldn't mind that gig, oh, I'd if love I'm it. honest. Um, but do you know what they should do, Ray? They should, they should invite us into some of their board meetings so that we can tell the world what a great job they're doing. Don't you think? I'd, come on, Nokia, if you're listening. Come on, Marcus. Make it happen. Um, cool. All right. Um... Ray, yes. you, uh, you're almost constantly itinerant these days, <laughs> and uh, you're, off a, you're off a another of these events that you just can't seem to stay away from. Why don't you tell us what that was all about and what you learned from it? Well, in the past couple of weeks, I've been in a couple of different places. Um, I was at the BCE event, which Light Reading runs in, in Austin. Where you got schooled at basketball. Oh, yeah. Jamie was there as well. 
It's on Twitter. I, well, I, it's on Twitter. I don't yeah. think we... Yes, that was a very interesting uh, photograph showing only one of two schools. I was, I was going to say it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but let, we won't get into that right now. Um, that's a whole different pod. Rematch. Um, uh, but uh, so there was the uh, BC in Austin, then I was at uh, Network Virtualization Europe in Madrid uh, last week uh-huh. or a couple of weeks ago. Um, and there's... Uh, What's interesting I'm finding now is that there are definitely uh, companies, telecom operators, who have taken the next step in terms of virtualization and who have finally uh, realized, you know, what they can do next, what does work, what works for them from a strategic point of view. And there are some that really haven't, that right. are a, a long way behind. Um and I think we're the instead of like after five years of NFE becoming a term and a lot of excitement about, you know, the potential of uh, of functions virtualization and the introduction of software defined networking, the industry after five years is actually no more um, together in a vision. Mm. Um, it's actually in 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 some ways it's splintering more. I think there's definitely leaders. I think Telefonica is starting to show itself to be, you know, ahead of the game. Certainly in some very interesting aspects. Um, you know what it's doing around the redevelopment of its central offices uh, as part of its distributed cloud and edge computing architecture. I think is really up there and, and, and in the okay. top echelons and I think a lot of companies will be knocking a lot of Telefonica's peers will be knocking on their door and saying hey I want to find out about this uh, and going to but and the other point I'm coming to there's there's there are schisms there's companies who are definitely leading the way and, and breaking off and having different strategies but at the same time they're also coming together in industry organisations like the, 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 the t- Telecom Infra Project TIP Right. Uh, and other bodies to share what they are doing. And in fact, what Telefonica is doing actually is using a lot of open source developments from the uh, Open Compute Project, and they're using that technology to build the infrastructure that's going to enable them to become a real, a, a the next generation telco, the cloud telco. Right. Um, but despite this sharing, there's definitely companies who have like, Put a lot more resource, time, and effort into the past few years, but I think uh, importantly as well have had a unity of management. And the thing, using I'm going to hark on about Telefonica here, because the they've had the same CTO who's been in charge of their virtualization vision for the for since it their whole program Blanco. began. Enrico Blanco, yeah, and he is still there in charge of it. And I think that you know if he left or went and did something else or retired or you know or went fishing went all Hemingway and went fishing <laughs> um he certainly used to have the Hemingway beard but if right. he wasn't there anymore I think that their their, their, their program it, it wouldn't falter and stop but I don't think it would and have to continue back. to have the momentum and this people thing is I think is incredibly important that's what's helped AT&T they've had John Donovan was there for years and that's helped AT&T be in some regards be at the front of this and there there are a bunch of companies NTT is still showing its its value and its progress as well but there are a lot of companies who are still struggling with some of the you know stuff the you know uh, what are we how are we going to enable this new vision how are we going to onboard 
virtual network functions. They're yeah. still at that phase, which is, you know... Gets a bit sort of deja vu-ish sometimes, It does, it? it does. But the thing in... Uh, so there was, there was lots of great discussions at BC, but I think it's a really... One of the great, I think, uh, uh, um, points that came out of the Envy event in Madrid uh, was uh, a guy called uh, Pravin Merchandani, and he's the CTO of a company called One Access. He made a great point during that event, which is that no matter where companies are in their virtualization strategy and development, still nobody knows actually how running, how, how much it's going to cost from an OPEX point of view, how much is going to cost to run either hybrid or fully virtualized networks. And one of the big promises of virtualization is it's going to be easier cheaper and easier to procure your technology and that will be cheaper to run it and his point was and i think he's absolutely right nobody has got a freaking clue no one knows. about how about what the total cost of ownership yeah. of hybrid or virtualized networks would be and there's only one way to find out of course exactly. and, that, and that is to do it but it, it's, so everyone's waking waiting for everyone else to make the first move aren't they uh in i think i think the, I, I think in some respects there are some companies who, who, who are going, oh, let's see what the others do. But if you wait too long for that, the thing is the, the time frames for things changing and moving on, it's not two years or 18 months anymore. It's four months and six months. If you sit on your ass right. and go, I'll let them figure out, have the pain points, and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll mop in a little bit later, I think those days are over. And, th and that still assumes that you'll be able to learn from them. Which isn't necessarily the case. It yeah. isn't necessarily the case. I think the opportunities to learn from the, the leaders are very much there through industry organizations and, and different groups, whether it's an open source or, you know, long-standing uh, organization like Etsy, for example. But I think that, you know, even with all the information in the world, I think what, uh, you know, what we found, and there's a great example just this week, uh, the closure of the acquisition of Interroot, that closed GTT, yep. acquired Interroot. And Interroot, I think, has always been very forward-thinking uh, and quite innovative in the way it's built its networks and, and viewed its architecture to enable services. And the thing about Interroot is that the only way it figured out to do things properly is that for years and years and years they had the same team trying to get things right and right. then finally they did and the thing is you can't you can't bottle that and then no. sell it to somebody else you can look at the you know if, even if somebody wrote it down or spent four days explaining everything they did you can't then do it in four days it's going to take you five years as right. well I so i think there's there's uh, lots of different companies at lots of different stages lots of opportunity for companies to learn from each other but actually the diversity of strategies, opinions, and experience points, I think, is, is getting broader and wider, which is great for us, yep. not great <laughs> for the industry. More sort of chaos for us to write about. Uh, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. That was a bit of a rant, wasn't no, it? No, it was good. <laughs> that was good. Um, well, I didn't interrupt you because I didn't have anything useful to add, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll quite happily defer to I guess not, it not only I was your. Actually, paying attention at some point. Well, I was going to say I'll defer not only to your knowledge, but the fact that you were there and I wasn't. It seems, <laughs> seems fair enough. I'm not going to go. To be honest, it all sounds like bollocks. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking out your ass, son. There is a question though. Best meal in Madrid? Uh, uh, you see, uh, the event was was in Madrid, 
but uh, the the location was at the end of Madrid Airport runway, ten miles from the centre oh. of the city. I've stayed. Uh, I've stayed at that terrible. airport. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of them around there. So. Uh. You're not exactly in the middle of some glamorous no. plaza. So it no. wasn't. Uh, I, you know, I do have now some some great locations to head to in Madrid, but I didn't make it to any of them. Um, Gutted. Yeah, I think I can say uh, there was. I had quite a good, and I'm gonna for anybody who's Spanish speaking, kind of clog your ears now. You know, don't listen to this, but Huevos Rotos, which is uh, potatoes. Not, that's not bad. Huevos oh. Rotos. Potatoes nice. with um, fried eggs and ham on on top. That can be spectacularly average, and right. it can be absolutely amazing and unbelievable. That is and I, one I, of ha- I had a pretty good one, actually, in this hotel. It that was is one bad. of your favourites. We had, we had a sort of high-level, light-reading, <laughs> telecoms.com board meeting once. Around Cuevas Rotos. That involved uh, what is otherwise known as ham, egg and chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you see there's ham, egg and chips, and then there's Cuevas well, Rotos. There we are. There we have it. Uh, Buenos Cuevas. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I mean, I think uh, as, as we concluded that you've pretty definitively covered that sort of thing and it's getting towards uh, pub o'clock. We'll, uh, we'll knock yeah. it on the head there. So uh, thank you to everyone for listening and make sure you join us for the next one. Bye.